You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. I'll start with a prayer. As for your prayers, um, for all of us, for me as I speak, for you as you listen, I need the Word of God personally. We need the Word of God personally this morning. Um, amazing thing is the author of the book is listening to us. So let's pray to him. Father, I thank you so much that you are not just a force. I'm glad that you're just not a, a distant thing, but that you're a person, that you have a character, that you have a personality, that you have strengths but no weaknesses. Um, you stepped and created the role of father, and that's, that's who you are. You're our dad. And I think as we come into the Christmas season and the holiday season and we're around our families, there's a, there's a mixture of emotion. Um, there's the blessing of family, but also we're reminded of the brokenness of this world that, that creeps into our families. And uh, to know this, that uh, all of us are twisted, all of us are tainted, all of us are broken by sin and you have put your image in us you've put your and those that have trusted you have really put your your spiritual life in us and now we can turn and say we've got a perfect dad no matter who's sitting around the thanksgiving table around the christmas table um, no matter what kind of um, tension there might be uh, maybe some heated discussions that break out or people that stomp away, or even when there's just perfect unity and joy and fun that we can know that's a gift from you. That's not an end in itself. That points up to you, that you're the giver of all good things. So we thank you for your word. Father, I pray that uh, you would take the, the letters and uh, just the thoughts, the, the mental part of this, and apply it deep to our emotions, deep to our feelings, deep to our convictions, um, deep into our inner man, and, and deal with us. There you say you're, you're down in the very core of who we are, like marrow in a bone. And um, that's why we're here, to deal with this, and then let that affect the details of our, of our week and our days, our families, our businesses, everywhere we go, our jobs, all interactions. So, Father, um, Holy Spirit and Son, bless us now, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, we'll try to, I'm not very good at coordinating with the slides, but uh, each of you, I think, have a, have a paper, and um, I'll just go down through the, the paper quick, and then we'll read through chapter 5 of Ezra. Today, our topic is the prophet we need we're taking the thought right out of the very beginning of chapter one or chapter five verse one bleed over into verse two for our, the core of our message and that that idea in that very first part if you see there on the paper it says uh chapter five one a that a just means the first part of the verse and it says now the prophets Talking about the prophets today, the prophets that we need. Now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Idu, prophesied to the Jews. What do prophets do? 
They prophesied. Now the prophets prophesied to the Jews. And um, our big question that we have today is, who am I? So do we have that slide next? Who am I? Christmas is not a time, sadly, it should be, a time for us to stop and really focus deeply on the big questions of life. Usually it gets filled up with activity and busyness and commerce and go, go, go. And we get to the end of the holidays and we're just wore out. And whether we start on this side of the holidays or, or at the back side of the holidays, we get a lot of times in Nebraska, especially into the beginnings of January, and we're just going, what was that all about? Why do we do this? What just happened? So our questions are three questions this morning. Who am I? Why am I here? What's the point? So let's read uh, chapter 5 and get a gist of where we are in the story and then return back to these, these three questions and get going. So Ezra chapter 5, verse 1 says this. Now, are we ready? All right. Now the prophets Haggai, Zechariah, the son of Idu, prophesied, now, can I stop and talk about these names? <laughs> Some of you were blessed with names like White, Dittmer, and Marino. Others of us, since early elementary school, had to deal with names like Haub Gawaks. So I'm not saying I'm good at long last names, but I'm really familiar with really awkward names. Um, I'm kind of glad my last name's not Idu or Ido, but... Uh, Habgewax is a mouthful, and we got some mouthful things. It just feels, it feels comfortable for me, but uh, I, wish I, had, I wish I had a name like uh, Smith, White, Jones, whatever, but I don't. Here we go. Zechariah, the son of Idu, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of God, the God of Israel, who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Jehozadak, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. At the end of chapter of the previous chapter, the work had stopped. I mean, it had been prophesied for years to come that once the children of Israel were taken off into captivity after 70 years, they would return, and they did. And the work began, and they had opposition, and the work stopped. And through chapters 1 all the way up to 5, we see this ebb and flow of the work starting and stopping and people getting excited and disappointed. And even the, the one part when they finally had things built, that the, the sound of those that were happy were just as, as loud as the sounds of those that were sad. Because those that were sad remembered the amazing Solomon's temple. One curious thing missing from this temple is the Ark of the Covenant the very symbol and place of God's Shekinah glory, his glowing presence. It wasn't there. It wasn't there. They had a good reason to be sad. But sadly, they let their emotions stop the work, and the work stopped. And finally, finally, a prophet stood up, two prophets stood up and says, let's get back to work as prophets do. Come on, what's going on? So we continue to read. At the same time, Tatanai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shethar Bazanai and their associates came to them and spoke to them thus. Who gave you a decree to build this house and to finish this structure? 
Opposition is coming. It's been so long since they had their decree from the previous king far, far away in Babylon that they don't even know why they're building. They don't even know they have permission to do it. They don't like it. They're saying, is there any right for them to be using all these resources and all this time right in the middle of the city to build? And they also asked them this, what are the names of the men who are building this building? But the eye of their God was on the elders of the Jews, and they did not, and it, they did not stop them until the report should reach Darius, and then an answer be returned by letter concerning it. We want names, and we're, we want authority. We're going to the king. What's going on? This is the copy of the letter that Tatnai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shethar Bazanai and his associates, the governors who were in the province beyond the river, sent to Darius the king. They sent him a report in which was written as follows. Quote, to Darius the king, all peace. Be it known to the king that we went to the, prophet, the province of Judah, to the house of the great God, it is being built with huge stones, and timber is laid in the walls. This work goes on diligently and prospers in their hands. Then we asked those elders and spoke to them who gave you a decree to build this house and to finish this structure. We also asked their names for your information that we might write down the names of their leaders. And this was their reply to us. We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth. And we are rebuilding the house that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and finished. But because our fathers had angered the God of heaven, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this house and carried away the people to Babylonia. However, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Babylon, Cyrus the king made a decree that this house of God should be rebuilt. And the gold and silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple that was in Jerusalem and brought them into the temple of Babylon, these Cyrus the king took out of the temple of Babylon, and they were delivered to one whose name was Sheshbazar, whom he had made governor. And he said to them, Take these vessels, go, put them in the temple that is in Jerusalem. They've been longing for this day. Prayers were being answered. Prophecy was being fulfilled. And the very precious golden articles created according to scripture for the worship of their God that was taken away, the very items were being restored to their proper place. It was an exciting time. And they had crazy authority from a, a non-Jewish king. And they went back to these archives and they found, yes, this is official. We have permission. And let the house of God be rebuilt on its site. Then Sheshbazar came and laid the foundations of the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And from that time until now, it has been in building and it is not yet finished. Therefore, if it seems good to the king, let search be made in the royal archives there in Babylon to see whether a decree was issued by Cyrus the king for the rebuilding of this house of God in Jerusalem. And let the king send us his pleasure in this matter. Well, I guess I forgot to have you stand up. I won't have you stand up now, but may God bless the reading of his word.
Um, is, the, is the mic a little hot? Joe, does it sound good? Okay, it feels hot up here, so I'll just ignore that and, and go forward. The prophet that we need. The prophet that we need. Now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Idu, prophesied. The prophets prophesied. Prophets ask big questions. And today, we have three big questions. Who are you? Who are you? Why are you here? Not just in this building, I mean on earth. Why were you put on the planet? Do you ever get to those times in life where you, you, you push after a goal and maybe you make it or maybe you miss it, but you're so tired or you're so confused or you have opposition like this and you just stop and say, what's the point? Maybe you get nailed with opposition that stops your work. You want to serve the Lord, just like these ancient Israelites are rebuilding a place of worship. You want to rebuild a place of worship in your life, and you step out in it, and life just hits you right between the eyes. And you go, why, Lord? I'm trying to do what's right. What's happening? What's the point of life? You know, human beings are, are a weird creation. We die just like the other animals, but we're the only ones that know it. <laughs> you ever notice dogs don't really get worried about old age? <laughs> They're not making some sort of plan for their gravesite. They're just dogs. They're going to die. So do we. But we know it. Ah, that's sobering. Why am I here? Sometimes I don't feel any better than some old dog. Life comes, life goes. Isn't it amazing when someone that you love passes away, how quickly they become a memory? How quickly they are really not part of the mechanics and the schedules of life anymore. If it wasn't for a picture or if it wasn't for reminders, they just fade from our, from our consciousness. Life is a vapor, the Bible says. Why are we here? What is the point? And who am I, really? You know, there's a song by uh, Jenny Owens. It's kind of dated now, but I want to read part of it. She's blind. I think she won a Dove Award for this song. I'll, I'll walk through the valley if you want me to. She wrote this song, and she sang it, and it goes like this. The pathway is broken, and the signs are unclear, and I don't know the reasons why you brought me here. But just because you love me the way that you do, I'm going to walk through the valley if you want me to. Now, I'm not who I was when I took my first step, and I'm clinging to the promise you're not through with me yet. So if all of these trials bring me closer to you, you ever think about that? Why is this happening? Is there a God? Does he know what I'm experiencing? The answer from the prophets is there is a reason for everything that happens and it's meant to draw you closer to him than I'll walk through the fire if you want me to. It may not be the way I've chosen when you led me through a world that's not my home, but you never said it would be easy. You only said I'd never go alone. It wrestles with the big thoughts of why why are things the way they are, and who am I? 
What am I supposed to do? When you get hit with valleys, and you know as a Christian you're called to walk through the valleys, that you won't walk through the valleys alone. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are what, church? With me. Don't you love to be with the ones you love? I suppose a jail cell would be fine if I could just be in there with karma. <laughs> as long as I know the one that I love is with me, that he's, he's present, that he cares. And so our number one point that we look at is we need to look at the Bible with a prophetic view. Number one, a prophetic view of the Bible. And oddly enough, I'll start in Luke 24 instead of Ezra. Here's the classic text of the big prophetic, big picture view of the Old Testament. Jesus has died and risen again. He's walking on the road to Emmaus. He draws up by two that are very discouraged. We read this verse and it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures. Was the New Testament written then? Not yet. When it says scriptures, it's talking about the Old, what? Testament. He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What's the Old Testament about? One word, Jesus. Ezra is about Jesus. Nehemiah is about Jesus. Leviticus is about Jesus. It's to give us wisdom and to understand that this story points to a person. The prophets, now, the three first words in Ezra, now the prophets. What is a prophet? I'll put down here, prophets are those that are always focusing on the big picture. We all have a prophetic side to us. People are always saying, what is the point? What is the big picture? And they're always challenging the status quo. They're always asking why. And prophets usually are a little weird. By definition, they're antisocial because they don't want to follow along. They always want to shake things up. Every culture has prophets. Uh, some of the prophets in, in American pop culture or, uh, or society, um, like uh, Steve Jobs, was a prophet. He played that role, a visionary. He's a visionary that could see a world that wasn't. And he would use technology as his Messiah. Um, Elon Musk. He plays the role in American society as a prophet. Um, he, he has dreams of, of moving all the interstates below ground. And we're going to have colonies on Mars. And we're going to have uh, cell phones that have just satellite service. And Verizon will be a thing of the past. He promised that like three years ago. What's going on? Must be a false prophet. I don't know. Mark Zuckerberg. He's a prophet. He plays that role. Did you see the recent video he made when they shifted Instagram to Meta? Meta. What a wonderful company name, Meta. It means big, overarching. It's a prophetic term, Meta. And uh, they're weird. They're just weird. You ever read the story of Steve Jobs? It's just weird, strange, eccentric. Uh, they actually make computer-generated, on this video by Zuckerberg, they make computer-generated likenesses of themselves. Now, I should reach out if Mark Zuckerberg was in the room. I don't want to slam him, but I couldn't really tell the difference between the, the computer-generated thing and the real one. 
He doesn't blink. You ever seen interviews with Zuckerberg? He said, well, how do you feel about the, the government regulations on Facebook? Well, we will respond accordingly, and it will be just fine. Do you have any more questions? Like, what is this guy? He doesn't follow. He leads. He leads through his vision of the future. What about Old Testament prophets? What are they like in the Bible? Usually they're hairy and scary. Old Testament prophets are, John the Baptist was a hairy man. Elijah was a hairy man. Uh, some of the most famous prophets in the Old Testament, um, like Elijah. What are they doing? What, what drum are they beating? God is holy. If you don't obey him, he will consume you with fire. Slays hundreds of false prophets. And then he runs for his life because he's so afraid. Prophets are people too. Uh, what about Jeremiah? Uh, Jeremiah was uh, actually the one that prophesied the exile that we're talking about right now. And uh, he went to Jerusalem and said, guys, it's too late. Judgment is coming. It's coming. You will be destroyed by a giant empire. It's coming. And he's known as the weeping prophet. They didn't like it. They said, we don't like Jeremiah's preaching. So they threw him down a pit in a hole, like in a well. And Jeremiah is just this depressing picture of God's judgment. And right in the middle of his book, at the very middle, structurally speaking, like the table of contents, right in the middle, he says the times are bad right now, but one day a new kingdom is going to come based upon a new set of promises that will change the problem. And the problem that every prophet talks about is the heart, the heart, the heart. We have to transform the heart. And the day's coming when it's going to be all about the heart, all about the big issues, the core motives. The day is coming. The day is coming. The people in Ezra thought maybe with Zerubbabel and the rest coming back, that maybe that was the day. What about John the Baptist? These guys, you know, Elijah ran for his life. Um, Jeremiah got thrown down a hole. John the Baptist started saying, repent, repent, shake it up. What are you doing? Turn around. For what reason? The kingdom of heaven is nigh. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The age of the heart is here. It's within your grasp. You must change and repent. And what did they do with him? What did they chop off? Chopped his head off. Oftentimes prophets are alone. Oftentimes prophets have nothing to lose but their life. And they lose that too. Now, the prophets stood up in chapter 5 and they started saying, Zerubbabel, what are you doing? High priests, why aren't you working? Let's get back to the work. As we move into the Bible, we have to remind ourselves, especially as Americans, this Bible is not a recipe book. As you start reading the book of Ezra, be careful just to jump into it like you're saying, you know, I wonder how to make apple pie. I'll look in the table of contents, I'll go to page 452, and there's my recipe. For a lot of times we say, you know, I need some encouragement today, I guess I'll read Ezra. It's a very different book than a recipe book. It's not like a step-by-step -step manual. It's not that. It's different. The Bible is actually a long 
story with a series of books that fit all together. The prophets are always looking at the big picture and a prophetic view of the Bible remembers that this is a story just like, uh, you ever, what's your favorite movie series? I, I wrote some down, I looked up Insider Magazine um, listed the most popular movie series in uh, there's ever been. Number one, Mad Max. I don't think I've seen one of those. Uh, last one was Fury Road. Anyone seen Mad Max? All right, all right. Uh, number two, Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. Now, these are not trilogies. These are series that are beyond three. Number three, Harry Potter. Number four, Mission Impossible. Number five, Jason Bourne. Uh, number six, uh, Mar the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Captain Marvel, Ant-Man, Black Panther. Um, number seven, Hunger Games. Number eight, Indiana, uh, Star Wars. And that old Indiana Jones one, number nine. And finally, Spider-Man movie series. Each one of these movie series create a world. And they often tie into the wants and desires of our human nature. My favorite really is Jason Bourne. I don't know how many times I've watched Jason Bourne. Think about Jason Bourne. He has amazing abilities. And people want to kill him. But he doesn't know who he is. Uh, what's the name of the lady that's, uh, that's teaching Hebrews right now for the, for the women? Um, yeah. No, no, the, the one that, <laughs> good, yes. Jen Wilkin is the, is the video series, yeah, that Karen is leading. Um, she says as she does speaking around with women's conferences, the number one question she gets from ladies is, I don't know who I am. People call me mom, people call me wife. But when I get alone, I wonder, who am I? Deep within our human nature, we're wondering, who am I? And these movie series become popular because they tap into human longings. Hunger Games, you identify with this? Hunger Games paints a future America where the government is totalitarian and a regular citizen beats the system and restores freedom. Oh, Americans love these themes. What about uh, Lord of the Rings, a world filled with evil forces? that can be defeated by the little people. Don't you think everybody that buys a ticket to see the Lord of the Rings says, go little people, nobody knows us, except we're kind of like Frodo. Defeated by the little people who only want to be left alone and live in peace. Welcome to Nebraska. Just leave us alone and let us live in peace. Let's watch the Lord of the Rings again and remind us why we love Nebraska. The Bible does the exact same thing. Each of these movies present a worldview. They invite us to, uh, to look at a life their way and let it change them. The Bible is a series presenting a worldview that invites us to look at life its way. The Bible says, look at God and who he is. Look at ourselves and see who we are and see that the hero of the story is Jesus Christ and find your identity in him. So rather than a rule book or a self-help book or a how-to manual, the Bible provides a world that changes what you want. See, a lot of times I go to the Bible and say, Lord, I just want to be happy. I just want a little peace. Could you give me three steps to give me some peace in my marriage? 
so I can be happy? And a resounding view of the Bible is, um, what do you mean by happy? Just give me the steps. Uh, I think when they came to Jesus and they said, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus is always doing this. He's going meta, going prophetic on him. Good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What does Jesus say? Why do you call me good? Just tell me how to inherit eternal life. Why do you always go big on me? Why do you always go meta on me? The Bible changes our worldview, and once our worldview changes, then our actions follow. So when we look at the Bible, we see roles in the Bible, the roles of prophet, the roles of priest, the roles of king. And we see the prophets in the Bible, like the ones we've mentioned, they're always asking why. They're always talking about change. They're always saying, the heart, the heart of God, the heart, the twisted heart of man. Why? Why? Why are you doing what you're doing? Now, kings, they're always saying, give me a plan. Give me a strategy. Just tell me what to do. But the priests come in, in their role, and they say, what about how people feel? I'm here to connect where people are to God, and I have to learn how to connect with people. So oftentimes the priests, and even today, priests are very people people. They're very people friendly. They can read a room. They can read where someone's at. They can sense whether someone's down or someone's excited. That priest is a gift that we need. Each one of you have it in, in part. And God calls us also to be kings. We have that in part to, to, to plan, to make a strategy, to don't just don't have a plan for graduation, to not have a plan for your future. Strategize, think ahead, make a plan. And we need the prophets to say, is the plan a decent plan? The prophet goes like, wow, you kings, you've made this amazing ladder. Extension ladder goes up 16 feet. It's wonderful. We're going to clean out the gutters. You take the ladder, this plan and the strategy, you lean it up, and you go up, and you're leaning against the wrong building. The prophets say, wait a minute. What's the point? Your plan is off course. You're cleaning out the neighbor's gutters. Come on, get it over here. So the Bible is a true story that creates a worldview. You change your worldview, and you change your behavior. Number two, a prophetic view for Israel. That's the big picture, the meta picture of the Bible. Look at it as a something that, that provides primarily a worldview that changes your heart. And what's going on here in, in Ezra? Where are they in the story? The story is now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Idu, prophesied. Haggai and Zechariah, guess what? We all know them. They actually have books in the Bible. Want to know more about what's going on right now? We can go read the entire book of Haggai. And the book of Haggai talks about mainly two big things. Obedience is important. Actions have consequences. Haggai went to these people and he says, guys, you think you're longing for this new day with this new covenant coming and you're not even working on the temple. Actions have consequences. Do you think God is going to give you sloppy grace? He's not. Actions 
have consequences. It was depressing. And the people had actually started just saying, forget building the temple, we're going to go big, uh, build a big house. So they started settling into the new land and just forgot all about focusing on the worship of God. The whole point, they returned. And Haggai says, come on, you're disobeying God. You're forgetting the entire reason we came back from Babylon. Do this instead. And his big focus was, Look forward to the new day and the new covenant where there'll be a new kingdom that focuses on the heart. He started prophesying about the coming of Jesus. You look in Haggai, like this verse right here I picked out. It says in Haggai 2 verse 1, the latter glory of this house, the temple, the glory of this house shall be greater than the former. That was on their mind. That was the biggest thing on their mind, that this was nothing like Solomon's house. It didn't have the Shekinah glory, and they were all depressed. I thought this was the new age, and it's not. Bummer. I quit. And that guy says, God's not done. God's not done. The day's still coming, and that glory that we had with Solomon is nothing to what's coming. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former. Prophets don't only convict, they also give hope. And then Zechariah comes along beside it, and it's a chaotic book of dreams and visions. And you have to stop when you read it and just go, I don't get it. You ever feel like when you're trying to rebuild your temple, there's so much confusion where you just stop and say, I don't get it. And he pointed to a day when a real person would come and he'd usher in the new kingdom. Listen to Zechariah. 2 verses 9 and 10 it says shout in triumph <laughs> they won't even work on the temple and he comes in shout in triumph O daughter of jerusalem see your king comes to you righteous and victorious be encouraged god's people rise up and do the work and he says humble is your king riding on a donkey please don't let that be my phone Does that ring any bells? Ha ha. <laughs> we should have a, a ringtone that has a donkey hee-hawing on it. Who was the humble king that came riding on the foal of a donkey? Zechariah prophesied it, that the day is coming, you guys. We're not off course. I know this isn't what you thought it's going to be, but don't give up. Have faith. Trust. Be obedient. Look to the God. God's still on his throne. His plan is still on course. Repent. And rebuild. Ezra is not primarily a blueprint, blueprint for revival. Ezra is not primarily principles for good leadership. Ezra is an autopsy of a revival gone wrong. The best plan, good leaders, good starts, good beginnings. But opposition came and the people got discouraged and everything goes sideways. And what was the problem? Just like before the exile, the people's hearts had not changed. And the prophets come and say, it's about the heart. It's about the heart. The well church, we're all about the transformation of the, the heart. A lot of times the leaders were limited. Zerubbabel was inactive until the prophets stirred him back up again. What's come on? Come on. Zerubbabel, you're supposed to be leading the charge. We're not doing anything. 
Or you can be like Nehemiah later. He just lost it and went sideways, started beating people up, pulling out their hair. Sometimes leaders are limited and they just quit. Sometimes leaders go sideways and they just lose it. What do we do? Where do we put our hope? Do we still need prophets? Number three says this, a a prophetic view for you. And the big thought is this. There's another prophet. And this prophet did it. And since he did it, now you can. Back in Luke 24, 19, it says, Jesus of Nazareth, this conversation that he's having with these two depressed people on the road to Emmaus, all these years later, it reads, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word. Isn't it good when the speakers are actually workers. He was mighty in what he did and what he said. There was no darkness or hypocrisy in this mighty prophet. He was mighty in deed in what he did, and he was mighty in words. There was no discrepancy in this prophet. And this prophet said, uh, they said, this prophet was mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And what about you? As you try to rebuild your worship, you ever feel far from God? You ever pray and just, you can barely do it? Maybe get out a mechanical routine? Read somebody else's prayer? Does the word of God ever seem empty and dry to you and say, Lord, I just feel like I'm one of the exiles. I don't even want to want you. Can I come back to your city of peace? Can I come back to your Jerusalem within me? Maybe you make a big start and all of a sudden you have one of those days. You know, you had your plan and then all of a sudden the phone rings at 7.30 and whoosh, you're off in another direction than what you planned for. And your time of closeness with God is just gone. Maybe something big happened in your life. Have plans for your future And then someone dies, someone close to you, maybe a child, maybe a spouse. You said, I was planning to retire. I was planning to do a typical American dream finished in my life, and now I'm a single parent. How about when you said, I do? And a marriage that was filled with hope and dreams suddenly went toxic, and now you're trapped. And you're with this spouse that that won't lift their finger and they won't help and they won't follow the covenant, the promise that they gave before God and mankind. And what do you do now when your life went sideways? Then what do you do? What if you have children that don't follow and go astray and and you, you ask yourself, Lord, what did I do wrong? I don't know. I know a little bit about us. Or do you just kind of give up for a while? Or you're distracted and you're just like these children of Israel. Say, you know what? I'm tired of building the house of the Lord. I'm going to go build a garage. <laughs> you know, all of life is worship. You say, forget it. 
I'll just go keep busy and quit asking the big questions. I'll quit asking why am I here. I'll quit asking what am I really supposed to do. I'll quit worrying about the big points and the things that really motivate life on earth. I'm just, just going to take a break. And then that break gets extended and your heart grows cold. And finally you hit a wall and you're kind of like this Jenny Owens. And you say, Lord, I feel like I'm in a valley. I feel like I'm in darkness. What do you do? Do you start on some, you find yourself a blueprint to start on big, some big external building program? No. You run to the prophet you really need. The one that's already built everything that needs to be built. When you look at the prophets that we've talked about, you see Jesus was the only one that was truly holy like Elijah prayed to. Elijah prayed for holiness. There's only one that's holy. Jesus was the only one obedient the way Jeremiah called for. Jesus was the only one able to bring the kingdom that John the Baptist preached about. Jesus was the only one who obeyed the way Haggai spoke about. Jesus was the only one who remained faithful in the midst of chaos the way Zechariah talked about. Jesus is the prophet of the kingdom of the new hearts. And you want to start in a new building program, turn Ezra and Nehemiah around backwards and say, let's start with the heart. Maybe that should have been the name of the sermon. Start with the heart. Run to the cross. Go back to the beginning. And build the structures of your heart. We don't like that. Because it requires us to look in the mirror and say, it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord. That's the way of peace. That's the way of joy. That's the way of new beginnings. That's the, that's the place where true new covenant, new promise, new joy, new closeness, new fellowship with the new better prophet begins. Let him speak to you, church. Let him search into your hearts and say, let me tell you who you are. I know who you are. Let me tell you what your purpose is in life. I know what your purpose is in life. Let me tell you what it's all about. You want joy everlasting? Oh, the Bible, don't, don't think that following the God is, God is about being bored and just, just dead duty. That goes against the whole idea of the heart. Go to the heart and turn it into joy. Turn I have to into I want to. And it only happens through I confess the truth, Lord. I confess the truth of my sin and I confess my only way I can trust in anything good in this life is in you. And then you ask, who am I? Your identity is in Christ, the great prophet that fulfilled all of the law. And when the only person that matters in the universe looks at you, he says, clean. Because of the great prophet, Jesus Christ. That changes your have to into a want to because you can start out the day and say, you know what? My boss today criticized me. My wife today nagged me. My husband today stayed on the couch and wouldn't get up again today. What do I do? My kids are driving me crazy. My parents are insane. My body hurts. I'm tired of this world. I've got a son that's a senior in high school. I don't like talking about that this world is tired and broken and dark and depressing 
and America's over. Christians, do we have hope? Come on. Do we have something bigger than any empire that's ever been in history? Do we have something better than any twisted movement that went sideways? We have one that says, I'll be your movement leader. I'll be your crazy prophet. I'll be the one that's willing to be alone and nobody in society will identify with me when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me alone? Our great prophet said, I will take it and I will make a movement that cannot be taken sideways. And the crazy thing about this movie series is this. Ever got to the end of a movie series and you're like, I wish they'd keep going. Or what happened next? And at the end of this movie, actually right in the middle, he turns and said, would you like to be an actor? I was looking at like Elijah Wood. I always go back to Lord of the Rings. The dude's like 21 years old. He becomes the main actor on Lord of the Rings. And uh, like by the time he's 23, he's worth like $30 million because he did one movie or three movies. Wow, thanks for the invitation. I think of those of us that work for 50 years welding and, and building machines and cleaning up after others and, and teaching and preaching and, and taking care of little kids. And you go, wow, where's my invitation? Can we make a sequel? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's a sequel better than any gold on earth. And the hero of the story turns and looks at you and says, you don't deserve a thing but I love you anyway. Could you join the drama? Would you step into this worldview? Would you pursue the, the, the universe that this book describes? Where there is a God that deserves glory because not only is he perfect, he's also loving. And there is a God that has a beautiful plan and for some reason, he wants relationship with those that reject him. That's how this story opens up. And generation after generation, it's just one autopsy after another about how things went so good for a while, and then they died. Beautiful design. Wonderful purpose. Temporary excitement. And then you die. And Ezra says, let me show you how a beauty, beautiful thing with good leaders, you know what I mean. They weren't corrupted or sinful, but, they, but the heart didn't change. So they died of heart failure. Generation after generation after generation. There's a heart problem. There's a heart problem. There's a heart problem. But one day there's coming a kingdom of the heart and the great prophet has come. Trust in him. Put your trust in him and you can step into the movie and you can be part of the drama and it'll change. Did you know that worldviews change your actions? When you see everything differently, you respond differently. And when you respond differently, you act differently. When you respond mentally differently, you respond differently and everything changes so that when someone close to you dies, and you say, I couldn't imagine someone like that happens to other people. But this person died. Or maybe this little baby died and you had all of these plans and purposes for what life could be like with this baby. You can go, I have a God that's loving and holy. 
And I may not understand what happens down here on earth, but I know this. One day, because of the great prophet, everything will be made right. Everything will be untwisted. And paradise will be restored. Then you can say, I guess I can testify that though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not alone. There's a real person that really cares. And he's strong enough and he's holy enough to make everything right. The story that Jenny Owens, or the, the song that Jenny Owens finishes like this, she says, when the whole world turns against me and I'm all by myself, and I can't hear you answer my cries for help, I'll remember the sufferings that your love put me through, and I will walk through the darkness if you want me to. Because when I cross over Jordan, I'm going to sing and I'm going to shout, and I'm going to look into your eyes and see you never let me down. So take me on the pathway that leads me home to you, and I'll walk through the valley you want me to stop this season church and remind yourself if you're tired and you hit a wall and you feel like you're in a valley and you ask who am I answer this I'm his I'm a royal priesthood I'm a holy nation I just had a crazy holiday experience, Lord. But you see me as holy and royal. That's a worldview based upon what someone else did. But you say, well, how am I supposed to live? What am I supposed to do? Testify. Testify of a worldview that no movie has ever done correctly. Of a worldview that's upside down compared to any other, other story that's out there. You're holy because of another. You're loved in spite of your failures. And you have future plans and hope. So young people, plow forward with hope and joy. Maybe the temple is not as great as Solomon's. Maybe the plans and purposes, and you say, why was I born in 2000 whatever? You say this, I was born for such a time as this, and I will shine bright because I have the power of the prophet that can change hearts. Trust in him, believe in him, live for him, and build an exciting life. God bless you guys. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.